Section 20 of The Watergate Report, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 2. B. Jake Jacobson and Joe R. Long jake jacobson and his texas law partner joe r long admitted giving ten thousand dollars to bob lilly but denied recouping the money from ampi lilly however says he received a total of twenty five thousand dollars from them and that they did recoup the money plus their excess taxes from the corporation there is independent evidence obtained by the select committee staff after lilly testified that tends to corroborate Lilly's account. The Austin, Texas firm of Jacobson and Long was employed by MPI in 1967 and then its successor AMPI for a monthly retainer of $2,500 plus billings and expenses for work done. Jacobson was subsequently retained by MID-AM and DI in 1973. As discussed above, Jacobson was involved in the formation and organization of TAPE, the $100,000 contribution in August 1969, and the $100,000 loan by Jacobson's bank to Lilly in December 1969. On the same day as the loan to Lilly, December 17, 1969, Jacobson delivered a $3,000 check and Long a $2,000 check to Lilly. The checks drawn on the law firm account were made payable to Jacobson and Long, respectively, and were endorsed by them and by Lilly. According to Lilly's records, he used the proceeds of the checks to pay $5,000 on the loan on the 17th, leaving a balance due of $95,000. In June 1970, Lilly requested another $5,000, and Jacobson and Long complied with a firm check dated June 12, 1970, from Jacobson, of $2,875, and a firm check of the same date from Long, of $2,125, again, each endorsed respectively by Jacobson, Long, and Lilly. Footnote. The December and June $5,000 payments were divided according to the ownership shares of Jacobson and of Long in their firm at the time, 60-40% in December and 57.5-42.5% in June. End footnote. Jacobson and Long each claimed that they were told by Lilly and perhaps Nelson that the money was needed to help Lilly repay a debt for tape that could not for some reason be paid by tape. Although Jacobson says that Long may have discussed with Lilly the possibility of billing AMPI for the payments plus taxes, both Jacobson and Long deny that they did recoup any of the money from AMPI. Jacobson explained that he gave Lilly the money, quote, as sort of a fee return, end quote, because AMPI was a, quote, good client and it was worth the good business relations, end quote footnotes stuart russell says that 
that at one point he complained to lily about the amount of money and number of payments requested of him and asked why lily couldn't ask others according to russell lily said that joe long had made some payments too this is consistent with a conversation between nelson and russell about conduit attorneys during which according to russell nelson said that ampi was paying jacobson for political contributions there is some evidence that in the spring of nineteen sixty nine jacobson had already counseled isham to divert funds in that case those of tape for unreported cash contributions but that isham objected because one it wouldn't work because the tape monies would have to be accounted for and two it would be illegal isham says that nothing more was said to him about the matter by either jacobson or nelson to whom isham says he reported the matter it should be noted that the alleged jacobson isham conversation may have taken place essentially contemporaneously with the seamer kalmbach meetings at which by jacobson's own account it was understood that kalmbach requested a one hundred thousand dollar cash contribution and that it not be reported End footnotes. there is evidence suggesting that on the contrary jacobson and long did recoup the payments plus taxes from ampi at the same time or shortly after each payment on the same day as the loan and the first five thousand dollar payment to lilly december seventeenth nineteen sixty nine the firm of jacobson and long located in austin one billed ampi at san antonio for ten thousand dollars for work on a certain matter footnote less than one month later on january sixth nineteen seventy the firm billed ampi another ten thousand dollars for the same matter End footnote. two was paid by the san antonio home office the full amount and three deposited the ten thousand dollars in its austin account it was lilly's understanding that after the first recoupment jacobson and long billed ampi for their subsequent payments to lilly on a three or four week delayed basis thus on july sixteenth nineteen seventy one month after the june payment the firm billed ampi a total of twenty two thousand dollars including what lilly believes was a fictitious charge of ten thousand dollars for a particular matter moreover lilly's records indicate and he testified that he received another fifteen thousand dollars from jacobson and long to make payments on the loan five thousand dollars on february two nineteen seventy the same day lilly deposited ten thousand dollars in his account and made a fifteen thousand dollar payment on the loan and ten thousand dollars on august sixth nineteen seventy although unknown at the time of lilly's testimony in november nineteen seventy three the select committee has found in the records of jacobson and long independent evidence that tends to corroborate lilly's account on february two nineteen seventy the same day lilly says he received five thousand dollars from jacobson and long jacobson cashed a firm check for three thousand dollars and long cashed a firm check for two thousand dollars for a total of five thousand dollars footnote this affidavit was based to a large extent 
on the results of an extensive search by select committee staff investigators of the records of Jacobson and Long in Austin. End footnote. On August 6, 1970, the same day Lilly says he received another $10,000 from them, Jacobson apparently cashed a check for $5,750 and Long another check for $4,250 for a total of $10,000. Although Jacobson and Long say that these checks represented normal withdrawals from their firm and not additional payments to Lilly, neither can explain the reason that the checks were cashed or the disposition of the funds or the coincidence that the amounts of the withdrawals equal the amounts Lilly said he received from them on the dates involved. Lilly believes that the Jacobson and Long firm billed AMPI for those payments, too, through billings of $10,000 on April 21, 1970, and $22,000 on August 21, 1970. Long says that these and the other billings discussed above in December 1969 and January, April, July, and August 1970 represented legitimate legal services performed by him for AMPI. Footnote. The firm's secretary from 1959 to January 31, 1972, Eula Bulkley, says that she did not maintain files on case matters for billing purposes, but billed clients according to whatever instructions were given to her by Jacobson or Long. End footnote. Jacobson's and Long's records reveal other transactions similar to those involving Lilly. For example, there are two other sets of checks in the same ratio as the June and August 1970 checks, and cashed by Jacobson and Long, two checks totaling $10,000 on September 9, 1970, and two totaling $5,000 in February 1971, for which no specific explanation of the disposition of the funds was given. While the committee has not been able to determine what other use, if any, Jacobson and Long made of these funds in connection with AMPI, there is evidence that they were involved on at least three other occasions with transfers of money totaling $20,000 to Lilly and another AMPI employee for political purposes in addition to the two $5,000 amounts to Lilly for the repayment of his loan. C. W. DeVere Pearson Originally a lawyer from Oklahoma City, W. DeVere Pearson came to Washington in 1965 to serve as chief counsel to the Committee for the Reorganization of Congress. In 1967, he joined the White House staff as associate special counsel, and in 1968, he became special counsel primarily for domestic policy matters, including agriculture. When Pearson left the administration in January 1969, he went into private law practice in Washington, and his firm, at that time Sharon, Pearson, and Sems, was retained by AMPI for $2,000 per month, plus billings for particular casework and expenses, to monitor and provide advice in connection with certain federal administrative agency matters. As noted above, Pearson advised AMPI and DI 
of the reporting requirements of their political trusts and in december nineteen sixty nine attended the meeting with nelson and isham at which the payback scheme originated he agreed to give some money to lilly and to contact two others ted van dyke and richard mcguire whom he knew pearson says that upon his return to washington after the december eight meeting he did contact van dyke and mcguire and told each of them that someone from ampi would be contacting them he says he heard no more of the matter until january nineteen seventy when Lilly contacted him and asked for $5,000, to which Pearson had agreed as part of the payback plan. Pearson says that he wrote a $5,000 check payable to, quote, cash, dated January 26, 1970, cashed it, and gave the proceeds to Lilly. According to Lilly, he deposited the money on February 2, 1970, along with the $5,000 he allegedly received that same day from Jacobson and Long for the purpose of making a payment on the $100,000 loan. Footnote. According to Lilly's records, he made a $15,000 payment on the loan the same day, February 2, 1970. End footnote. Pearson readily concedes that he was aware of the plan for the conduits to recoup the money from AMPI, but he denies that he did so. On the other hand, Isham understood that Pearson did recoup the money at the outset of the plan. Moreover, at the same time that Pearson agreed to participate in the payback plan, he obtained the approval of AMPI officials for a year-end payment to his firm of $8,500, and shortly thereafter, a 100% increase in his firm's monthly retainer. In a billing from Pearson's firm to AMPI, dated December 19, 1969, 11 days after the meeting and two days after the loan to Lilly, there is, in addition to the monthly retainer of $2,000 and disbursements of $16.21, a one-time charge of $8,500 for, quote, additional legal services in connection with legislative and administrative programs of the dairy industry, end quote, including certain listed topics. Footnote. Pearson addressed the bill to MPI, although it had merged into AMPI two months earlier. End footnote. Beginning in 1970, the firm's monthly retainer was doubled to $4,000, and it remained at that level until his firm was released by AMPI in early 1972. Pearson conceded that he discussed the $8,500 charge with Nelson at the December 8 meeting when the payback scheme was hatched, but maintains that it represented a legitimate charge for work done in 1969 in excess of his time compensated by the retainer, and that he had intended to discuss the matter with Nelson even before learning of the scheme. Footnote. Pearson also points out that even if the $8,500 payment was intended as a recoupment for his payment to Lilly, it would not have covered his out-of-pocket cost of $5,000, since he had only approximately a 25% ownership share in his firm. End footnote. 
while pearson did not keep time records of his day-to-day -day general monitoring activities for ampi he did maintain time records for his casework on particular ampi matters which he says reflect an additional one hundred fifty hours of time during nineteen sixty nine with respect to his increase in retainer effective january one nineteen seventy pearson says that he discussed the increase with either nelson or parr in late december nineteen sixty nine to cover excess work in subsequent years and avoid the need for any year-end adjustments in the future d ted van dyke and kirby jones ted van dyke a former aide to vice president humphrey was hired by ampi in nineteen sixty nine as in van dyke's own words and quote ambassador to the democratic liberal community as well as a general consultant on public affairs he and one of his employees kirby jones each paid bob lilly ten thousand dollars and recouped the money from ampi but they deny knowing that the money was used for political purposes van dyke served as one of the principal managers of humphrey's nineteen sixty eight presidential campaign and in nineteen sixty nine became a vice president of columbia university while at columbia he did some consulting work for ampi whose leaders nelson and parr had met while he was an aide to the vice president in late nineteen sixty nine he left columbia and formed the washington consulting firm of ted van dyke associates which was hired by ampi at an annual retainer of twenty five thousand dollars plus expenses in mid nineteen seventy one the retainer was increased to five thousand dollars per month but in february nineteen seventy two the new ampi management terminated the retainer the firm also worked for di from mid nineteen seventy two until october 1973 van dyke thinks that in december 1969 probably either nelson or parr contacted him and asked that he pay ten thousand dollars to lilly as added compensation which ampi did not want reflected in the company's books footnote a letter from van dyke to nelson forwarding the first ten thousand dollar payment to lilly refers to a conversation between van dyke and lilly but van dyke does not recall speaking to lilly although he says he thought the request was unusual van dyke says he had no reason to question the explanation and complied with the request on december twenty two nineteen sixty nine five days after the one hundred thousand dollar loan was made to lilly one van dyke mailed a ten thousand dollar check to lilly two he mailed an invoice to nelson covering the ten thousand dollars and three ampi sent him payment for the bill before it was received van dyke said that the payment to lilly and the billing and payment involving ampi were all done simultaneously because van dyke needed the money in order to make the payment to lilly before the end of the calendar year as requested by ampi there the matter stood until march nineteen seventy when van dyke sent an irs form ten ninety nine to lilly and the internal revenue service 
reporting the $10,000 payment to Lilly as additional compensation. In a letter to Lilly at that time, he wrote, As protection for both of us, you will be receiving a withholding slip for the $10,000, just as I received one. That closes the circle and keeps us beyond question. Although Van Dyke thought the matter was irregular, he says he had no reason to believe the transaction was anything other than as it was represented to him. The withholding slip caused a minor stir at AMPI, because it forced Lilly to reflect the $10,000 as extra income and pay tax on it, though he, of course, had used the $10,000 to make a payment on the $100,000 loan. Footnote. It appears that Lilly was subsequently paid by AMPI to cover his excess taxes resulting from the report of the $10,000 from Van Dyke. End footnote. Van Dyke recalls receiving an angry call from Isham, asking him why he had reported the payment as compensation to Lilly. Despite Isham's call, which Van Dyke admitted raised doubts in his mind about the first transaction, Van Dyke was asked and again provided another $10,000 to Lilly the following summer. Van Dyke says that in September 1970, Nelson or Parr again called him and, as in the previous request, asked that he pay $10,000 to Lilly as additional compensation but without reporting it as a firm expense. Van Dyke responded that his firm could not do so without filing another Form 1099, and when he was then asked to pay Lilly the money from his personal funds, he said that for him to do so and be compensated by AMPI for the payment plus his excess taxes would be too costly because of his income tax bracket. He says he was then asked if he could have an employee with a lower bracket act as the conduit. Van Dyke says that although he thought the matter was awkward, he asked his employee, Kirby Jones, if he would do so, and Jones agreed. Jones says that Van Dyke passed on to him AMPI's request, describing the similar transaction the previous year and AMPI's request that no IRS forms be filed this time. Jones, who did not have any contact with the milk producers, conceded that he also thought the procedure was unusual, but he agreed to act as the conduit because he was to receive at that point an extra $2,000 from the transaction to cover his future excess tax liability, which he planned to use temporarily for an upcoming trip abroad. On August 27, 1970, Van Dyke sent a firm invoice to Lilly covering what he termed the $12,000 Quote, direct expense, and Isham wrote a check to Ted Van Dyke Associates dated September 4, 1970, in payment. On September 9, 1970, Jones sent a check for $10,000 to Lilly, and two days later, Van Dyke gave Jones a check for $12,000 with the fictitious notation, quote, AMPI Convention Project, end quote. Jones later received from the firm a Form 1099 reflecting the $12,000 payment, and he duly reported it on his federal income tax return and paid the tax due. 
both van dyke and jones say that they did not know that lilly had borrowed money for political purposes or that the twenty thousand dollars was used to repay those loans or for any other political purpose e james r jones congressman james r jones democrat oklahoma before being elected to congress in nineteen seventy two was employed by ampi from nineteen sixty nine to nineteen seventy two it is undisputed that during that period he twice made payments of five thousand dollars to bob lilly for a total of ten thousand dollars but it is not clear whether he knew the purpose of the payments or whether he recouped the money from ampi congressman jones was a member of president johnson's white house staff first as an assistant to marvin watson the president's appointments secretary and then in nineteen sixty eight after watson left as watson's replacement while at the white house he met nelson and parr and when he left the administration in january nineteen sixty nine he was hired by them pursuant to an oral agreement for five years at an annual retainer of forty thousand dollars plus expenses to edit and publish the co-op's monthly magazine dairyman digest in addition he was to receive a reasonable amount for other work performed although he had hoped to act as a general political and management consultant for ampi and did in fact coordinate some regional public relations activity for ampi jones's primary responsibility was as editor of the magazine he along with a number of other ampi attorneys and consultants was fired in nineteen seventy two when Marin became general manager during the nineteen sixty nine to seventy two period he also maintained a private law practice in tulsa oklahoma in december nineteen sixty nine jones was asked by lilly to contribute five thousand dollars according to jones he was told that farmer contributions to tape were not being made in sufficient amounts and he was asked to make a contribution to tape jones says that he agreed to give five thousand dollars on condition that it be used to purchase tickets to democratic fundraising dinners and that he and his wife be permitted to use some of the tickets jones says that some time later he and his wife did attend democratic dinners using tickets purchased by tape when jones was first questioned about this matter by the select committee staff in december nineteen seventy three he recalled that he paid the five thousand dollars directly to tape in fact it appears that he paid the money to lilly by check dated december twenty three nineteen sixty nine which lilly used to help repay the one hundred thousand dollar loan more recently jones has stated that he made the check payable to lilly as requested but he could not explain why lilly wanted the money paid to him jones did not remember making any additional payments to lilly or tape but when shown a copy of his cancelled check dated may five nineteen seventy in the amount of five thousand dollars and payable to lilly which lilly used for his political loans he acknowledged making the payment and said that lilly had told him again that more money was needed to build up the tape treasury in fact by nineteen seventy tape had over three hundred thousand dollars in its account 
Footnote. The tape reports, filed with the clerk of the House of Representatives, show receipts in 1969, totaling approximately $369,000, and cash on hand at the end of each reporting period in 1970 of over $300,000. End footnote. Jones says that although he edited the AMPI magazine and made speeches for tape to solicit new members, he did not know the existing level of tape funds. Footnote. Jones also says that he was subsequently asked by Lilly for a third payment, but that he refused because he understood tape had accumulated approximately $800,000 by that time. End footnote. There is also evidence that Jones, who acknowledged that the payments to Lilly were for political contributions, simultaneously received from AMPI amounts approximately 40% in excess of those payments. On December 19, 1969, two days after the loan to Lilly and three days before Jones's first check to Lilly, one, Jones sent a bill to AMPI addressed to Bob Lilly for $6,890 for, quote, professional services and expenses, end quote, and two, Lilly requested and Isham approved a payment to Jones for the invoice. On April 9, 1970, less than one month before the second payment to Lilly, Jones sent a bill to AMPI addressed to Lilly in the amount of $7,150, for professional services rendered on special projects, end quote. Eleven days later, on April 20, 1970, a check was written to Jones for that invoice. Jones conceded that he was short on cash in December 1969 and April to May 1970, and that the two invoices were submitted to secure the money to pay Lilly. A principal matter in dispute is whether he had rendered services for which he was legally entitled to additional compensation, or whether the billings were a device to recoup the amount of his payments to Lilly plus Jones's excess taxes. In the staff interviews, Jones asserted that the two billings represented additional work he did for AMPI, although in the three-year period that Jones worked for AMPI, these invoices were the only special billings that Jones submitted to AMPI in addition to his monthly retainer and expenses. Subsequently, through his attorney, Jones submitted to the committee staff an analysis of his time records for 1969 and part of 1970 to justify the two billings. With respect to the earlier billing, he states that he estimated on December 19th that his services for AMPI in 1969 at a rate of $50 per hour for work in Tulsa and $70 per hour for work away from Tulsa would represent a total of $46,890, which he covered by the $6,890 billing plus the $40,000 retainer payments. Footnote. Apparently through an oversight, Jones was paid $6,980 by AMPI, $90 more than his December 19 bill of $6,890. End footnote. 
he says that he later found in nineteen seventy that in fact his time for nineteen sixty nine represented an additional two hundred fifty dollars therefore when he estimated in april nineteen seventy his excess services for the entire nineteen seventy calendar year he added two hundred fifty dollars to six thousand nine hundred dollars rounding off the six thousand eight hundred ninety dollar figure and build ampi an additional seven thousand one hundred fifty dollars footnote according to jones's attorney's analysis of the entire year based on actual records for the first seven months of nineteen seventy and projections for the remaining months during which he unsuccessfully ran for congress jones's services represented a total of forty four thousand seven hundred fifty dollars or two thousand four hundred dollars less than he billed to ampi End footnote. this analysis apparently fails to take into account the fact that the april nine nineteen seventy billing refers to a quote special project and neither congressman jones nor his attorney have explained what if any special project apart from time spent on regular services for ampi jones performed footnote george merrin of ampi told the committee that it seemed to him that jones's work on the co-op's magazine dairyman digest consisted of arranging the covers and doing minor editorial work on the magazine or as he put it quote, edit the editing end quote. End footnote. moreover nelson does not recall any work performed by jones other than on the co-op magazine and although jones claims his hours in nineteen seventy one amounted to an additional thirty nine thousand dollars he submitted no bills to ampi for that work footnote jones's failure to bill ampi regularly for excess time or other work may account for the fact that robert isham ampi's comptroller was not even aware that an agreement existed whereby jones could bill ampi for such time or work End footnote. f frank masters frank masters a san antonio attorney has performed legal services for ampi and its predecessor co-ops for a number of years according to lilly's records masters paid him a total of six thousand dollars in nineteen sixty nine and nineteen seventy which he applied to repay the original one hundred thousand dollars and subsequent political loans masters acknowledges the payments but denies that he knew of the conduit scheme or billed ampi for the payments according to masters lilly came to him late in nineteen sixty nine and asked him to make a substantial contribution in cash Quote, to austin end quote. masters understood lilly to mean the texas democratic party and its elected officials although masters says he was not aware of any campaigns in progress at the time masters says that since he knew that lilly had spent many years in political work in austin and assumed that lilly might help bring masters business or give him some influence at the state level he agreed lilly testified that he made several requests of masters but that he did not mention state candidates instead he says he told masters that he needed money for political contributions footnote 
if in fact lilly referred to austin he may have been referring to his loan and account in the citizens national bank of austin End footnote. although masters denies billing ampi for his payments to lilly he conceded that he never received either any acknowledgment from any party or state official for his contributions or any assistance for his law practice from Lilly. Although Lilly does not recall discussing with Masters the possibility of recoupment, there is evidence that Masters attended the Las Vegas AMPI board meeting, at which Nelson reportedly referred to high legal fees and use of AMPI attorney fees for making political contributions. While Masters apparently assembled over a period of time the cash he gave to Lilly, thereby making the tracing of the source of the funds virtually impossible, several transactions between AMPI and Masters at about the time of the loan to Lilly seem out of the ordinary. In addition to the regular monthly billings by Masters and payments from AMPI, Isham wrote a check dated December 2, 1969 to Masters for $5,397.96, but there is no record in AMPI's or Master's files of an underlying invoice. On December 19, 1969, an AMPI check to Master's for $5,000 was made out, again, with no invoice. Master's has no explanation for the December 2nd payment and says that the December 19th was an advance payment to him on services performed but not billed to AMPI. Although Masters says he talked directly to Isham to get the advance, there is no record at AMPI of any request or explanation for the check. Footnote. On December 20, an invoice for $4,200 that makes no reference to either previous check that month was submitted by Masters. On January 6, 1970, AMPI paid Masters for the December 20th bill, 4200 plus bills for August, September, and October 1969, all three of which had been dated by Masters on November 4, for a total of $11,840, less the December 19th $5,000 payment termed an advance. The delay in paying the November 4th bills until January appears to be unusual because AMPI records show that most of Master's bills, both before and after November 4, were paid on the same day or within several days of their submission to AMPI. End footnote. G. Richard McGuire. Richard McGuire is a lawyer who was an official with the Democratic National Committee for a number of years. His firm was retained by AMPI in 1969 at a monthly retainer of $2,500. According to Lilly, McGuire made a number of cash payments to him in 1970 and 1971, totaling $10,000. Except in one instance, Lilly allegedly obtained McGuire's payments through another AMPI consultant, Clifford Carter, McGuire says he does not recall making any payments to Lilly directly or through Carter, and he knows of no conduit payback scheme. Lilly has reportedly informed AMPI's attorneys that
that Maguire recouped the money through an increase in his retainer, and Isham has confirmed this. Starting January 1, 1970, soon after the conduit scheme began, but before Maguire, according to Lilly's records, made any payments to Lilly, Maguire's monthly retainer was raised by AMPI to $4,000 a month, a jump of $18,000 per year, and continued for two years until terminated by AMPI. Footnote. It should be noted that Lilly could not identify from his records the source of certain cash payments, including a $5,000 payment on or about February 2, 1970. End footnote. With regard to the retainer, Maguire says that he assumed that because he had advised Nelson and Parr concerning the formation of tape, which had proven successful, they were rewarding him with an increase. H. Clifford Carter Clifford Carter, a Washington, D.C. consultant who is now deceased, reportedly was a friend of Nelson and was retained by MPI and then AMPI for over three years beginning in 1968. AMPI's records indicate that he received monthly payments of $1,000 plus expenses during that time. According to Lilly, Carter made several payments to Lilly, totaling $10,000 in 1970 and 1971, and, as noted above, Lilly usually received both Maguire's and Carter's payments from Carter at the same time. There is no direct evidence that Carter billed AMPI for his payments. However, in an invoice dated December 29, 1969, Carter billed AMPI $3,500 for, quote, services rendered for January 1970, end quote. This appears to be the only invoice of its kind that Carter submitted to AMPI while he was retained. Since Carter is now deceased, the committee has been unable to obtain necessary clarification of this bill and of Carter's knowledge of the AMPI conduit arrangement. E. Use of the Conduit Scheme for Other Corporate Political Contributions After the $100,000 loan in December 1969, Lilly borrowed additional monies from the Citizens National Bank, also secured by a tape certificate of deposit, during 1970 and 1971 at Nelson's direction to make other political contributions which were subsequently repaid with corporate funds laundered through the conduits, primarily Russell. Since tape had hundreds of thousands of dollars in funds available for political contributions, the question arises as to why corporate funds were used for political contributions. At least with respect to the corporate contributions to national democratic candidates, detailed elsewhere in the committee's report, Nelson and Parr had a simple and telling explanation. They testified that they made such unreported cash political contributions because they feared that they would, quote, incur the enmity, end quote, of the Nixon administration if their support of key Democrats was detected by the White House. Footnote. AMPI, Nelson, and Parr have each pleaded guilty to violating 18 U.S.C. 371 for conspiring to make corporate contributions in violation of 18 U.S.C. 610 
in connection with the 1968, 1970, and 1972 federal elections. In addition, AMPI pleaded guilty to five specific corporate contributions, including the $100,000 to Kalmbach. End footnote. End of section 20. Recording by Linda Johnson.